Life is hard. I feel like I don't really need uh, to describe too much length to you how life is hard. And yet, life is hard in everything from the small moments, the day-to-day, the mundane. You know, the, the kids have just pushed my button that one time too many. The, the housework has just gotten that little bit out of control. The, that snide comment at work one more time. If I, It's just everything from the day-to-day all the way through to those life-defining moments, life-defining days, weeks, seasons even, where we are going through the chronic illness, the long-term unemployment, the serious breakdown in relationship, death even. Life is hard. It is full of challenges and, dare I say it, trials difficulties. Some of them aren't even of our own hand. I mean, some of them come because of decisions we make, but others are just the circumstances around us. My brother, I have a brother, his name's Jeremy, he's a couple of years older than me. Back in 2003, he was an editor within a big law firm. And one day he had this conflict with one of his managers that produced in him this great amount of anxiety, brought on some sort of an anxiety attack. He went home and he basically didn't go back to work. Six months later, he still hadn't returned to work. He'd been to doctors and specialists and all sorts of people to try and help him work out what was going on with his body that was just crippling him. Eventually, he got given the diagnosis, chronic fatigue, which just means we don't know what's wrong with you, but you kind of can't do stuff. And today, 2017, 14 years later, he's still hampered by his chronic fatigue. He, he, he's limited in his capacity to work day to day. He doesn't know if he'll be able to do what he has planned to do or not. Life is hard. Now, I don't know what sort of hardship you're going through, what sort of trial you are currently facing. Maybe life for you at the moment, you're kind of in a good patch and the trials are really just the little day-to-day things. Or maybe you truly are in one of those life-defining seasons even where it just seems to go on and on and on. I wonder if you've ever stopped to think that in God's purposes, these trials are placed in our paths for good. That these trials are God's way of growing us into maturity rather than of stunting and pulling us down. And this is the idea that we're going to consider this morning. This is, this is where I want us to sit, in the knowledge that in the midst of trials, in the midst of the hardest things you are going through, Christians can, and in fact Christians should, be joyful. Now I don't know if you've ever heard a more back-to-front idea than that. And yet that's exactly what we hear in James. Now I hope you've kept James open, James chapter 1. And verse 2 is in many ways our topic verse for this morning. James says this, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That is the instruction that we have before us. And I'm going to speak under two headings, trials and temptations, and then joy through wisdom from God. You've got a little handout. Uh, By all means, go taking notes as you go. I'll start by saying James is talking about real trials. 
He's not, he's not some monk Christian locked away in an ivory tower who's got no real idea of what the world is like. He knows that life is hard. He knows what real trials are. In Acts chapter 5, we have recorded for us, uh, I love it, it's a fantastic story, of one of the trials of the early Christians. So you can imagine, right, Jesus has just gone, Holy Spirit has just come, you are so excited about Jesus right now, you just want to go and tell everyone. So a whole bunch of the apostles, they're in the Jewish temple preaching about Jesus. He's the Messiah, he rose from the dead, you've got to put your trust in him. The Jewish leaders didn't like it. That's an understatement. So they went and they arrested them, locked them up, threw them in prison, slammed the gate shut, put guards out the front. They said, all right, we're going to come back tomorrow and we're going to deal with you lot. They left. Overnight, God sent an angel who pulled just the best Houdini ever, right? The doors shut, the guards are there, and somehow he got them out without the guards even noticing. And the angel says to them, you guys, what are you doing? Go back and get preaching. So off they went. Morning comes, they're back in the temple preaching about Jesus again. Meanwhile, the Jewish leaders had all gathered, right? They got the, the full court together, the Sanhedrin as they called it. They're like, all right, go and get us the prisoners. We're going to deal with these guys now. So the guard goes to jail and they're not there. The gate's still shut. The guards, are, we don't know how they... They come back to the Jewish leaders. They're gone, they say. What do you mean they're gone? They're gone. Meantime, a messenger arrives and says, those guys you locked up last night, they're back in the temple preaching about Jesus again. Anyway, they go and arrest them a second time. They bring them back and they say, you lot, what are you doing? Didn't we tell you not to preach about this Jesus? No, that's it. Let's just kill them. Let's kill them. Who wants to kill them? Yeah, we all want to kill them? All right, you guys, we're going to kill you. Now, one of them says, ah, maybe we shouldn't, just in case they really are on God's side. So let's flog them instead. Let's flog them. Let's beat them with rods and then chuck them out and tell them you must not preach about Jesus. They knew about difficulties. They knew about trials. Arrested twice in 24 hours, flogged, told to go and not preach on pain of death. We're talking about the real stuff here. We're not talking about make-believe. You've got to know that James is talking about the real difficulties of life. But you've got to know what it is that those trials are. So again, chapter 1, verse 2, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that the testing of your faith develops perseverance. And perseverance must finish its work, so that you may be mature and complete, not lacking anything. The only way that can, we can even begin to think about having joy in trials is if we know that trials are God's way of strengthening our faith, of testing it, of proving it, such that we might learn to endure and persevere and reach maturity. We don't rejoice in trials because they're fun. Let's just get that clear. I'm not telling you this morning to be some sort of Christian masochist who likes going around and looking for pain. It's not about being happy clappy. Oh, I'm doing it tough and putting a big fake smile on. It's about knowing that here in this trial, in this difficulty, in this moment, God is giving me an opportunity to be strengthened, to be matured. Picture for a moment two very different lives. Over in, uh, in the red corner, we have Bob, and Bob's life is good. Bob was born to the right family. They were wealthy. He went to the right schools, got the great education, did the right university degree, got a good job afterwards, very lucrative. 
He met Jane along the way. They got married. They hit it off. They've had a brilliant marriage. They fought once because you've got to have one fight, right? But other than that, it's just been bliss. They had the perfect kids. The babies, they never cried. It was amazing. They pooed only once. I mean, they only got to change one nappy the whole 15 years. It's just this beautiful life. As they got older, their parents died well, if such a thing can happen. They retired in luxury. Their kids found the appropriate spouses and they got married and had lovely little grandkids. Life was good. And then they died. Now on this side, we have our other life. And it wasn't so good. It was hard, in fact. Born really on the wrong side of the tracks. Dad racked off before it was three. The right school? <laughs> yeah, right. No education, a job. Well, wish could have a job. Life was hard, string of broken relationships, a couple of kids with the first one, but, you know, nothing to speak of. Old, lonely, sad, and then died. Now, both of those people are going to have to come before the judgment seat of God in a moment where the only thing that will count is whether they are able to entrust their entire lives to the sacrifice of Jesus for them. Now, Bob has spent his entire life trusting himself. He had the wealth. Any problem that came his way, he just threw money at it. Fixed. What's the problem? Life's good. Relationships are happy. I don't need to trust God. Whereas our other person over here had nothing in his life to trust but God. The faith muscle over here is about this big. Never had to trust God before. The faith muscle over here is the size of a tank. Now what's going to happen when they have to stand before God and trust Jesus with all of their being? He's going to struggle. Never done it before. His faith is strong. Do you get what I'm saying? The trials are God's way. They're God's gym of working out our faith. Now there's the trial, the test itself, and then there's how we respond to that trial. There's great reward in tests. Jump down to verse 12 and listen to what happens as the reward to the one who perseveres, who endures, who makes it through the trial with their faith strengthened. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. How's that for a reward? Endure, persevere, see the trial through, for in persevering, God has promised you the very crown of life. But notice that there's a very big danger. See, in the midst of suffering, there is always temptation. The temptation to not trust God. In fact, if the trial is a test, the temptation is always there to fail to pursue my heart and my desires and my longings rather than to trust God, no matter the consequences. Verse 13, James tells us, When tempted, no one should say, God is tempting me. For God cannot be tempted by evil, nor does he tempt anyone. But each one is tempted when, by his own evil desire, he is dragged away and enticed. Please never say when you are going through trial, God is trying to make me sin. That God is somehow trying to entice you to sin. 
Oh, they didn't sin last time. I wonder what they're going to do with this one. I'm going to take his health away. Let's see if that makes him. No, oh, he's still being faithful. I'm going to kill everyone. Let's see if that makes him sin. God's not capricious. He's not malicious and vindictive that way. The temptation comes from within. It is our heart where the evil desires come from. We are the ones who want to give up. And you've got to know that this is serious. This is a serious warning. We're not just playing around here. Verse 15, after desire is conceived, it gives birth to sin and sin when fully grown gives birth to death. This is salvation on the line. This is in the face of the trial, will I trust God or will I pursue my own temptation, knowing that it will bring forth sin and sin gives birth to death. When you're going through a tough time, you have a choice to make. In the face of the trials of life, you have a choice to make. You can choose to pursue what your heart wants. You can choose to pursue the temptation that comes from... We are by nature sinners. We are by nature people whose hearts want to follow evil. Or you can choose to trust God to listen to him, to obey him, no matter the consequences. How? How can we do it? How is it possible for us to stand in the face of the worst trials in life? In fact, how is it possible for us to rejoice in the face of difficulty in life? Do you know what the Christians did back in Acts 5? after they got kicked out by the Jewish leaders, after they'd been flogged and told not to preach Jesus anymore. Do you know what they did? Listen to this. The apostles left the Sanhedrin, they left the court, rejoicing because they had been counted worthy of suffering disgrace for the name. They left saying, hooray! God has considered us worthy of suffering for his name. Gee, I want to be like them. Well, do you know how to be like them? It's there in the very first word of verse 2. Consider. Consider it pure joy. Or verse 3, Know that the testing. That is, in order to be able to rejoice, you've got to be able to think rightly. You've got to be able to think rightly about the world and about yourself and about the trials and about your circumstances. You've got to be able to see that God is using that pit that you're in to lift you. You've got to be able to see that God is doing what is necessary to strengthen your faith. We look at the trial and we go, it hurts, I don't like it. God looks at the trial and he goes, I'm just putting a couple more weights on the bench press. I'm working out your faith. It requires us to have a complete change of mindset. See, before you're Christian, if you're part of the world, pain is something to be avoided at all costs. Trials are just, well, at at best, they're random. At worst, they're the fault of a capricious God who we can blame for it all. There's no hope 
in the world's wisdom, in the face of suffering. Do you know the best thing that somebody who's not a Christian can say to you when you're going through a tough time? you know the best thing they can say to you is? Uh, it'll probably pass soon. What if it doesn't? And even if it does, it still hurts now. What sort of hope is that? The best the world can do is curse God, blame him for it. We need to have our minds transformed so that we will see it God's way. Joy in trials requires us to see God's kindness in any pain we are enduring. Let me say that again. Joy in trials requires us to see God's kindness in any pain we are enduring. He wants us to be like this, with a very big faith muscle that can trust Jesus. You go through life without trusting, and when it comes time to trust, maybe you won't be able to, because you've never had to before. Maybe you don't see your trials that way. Maybe this is just so foreign. What do you, what do you mean, this is God's kindness to me? Now, if that's you, then what you need to do is to ask God for his wisdom. Because in the end, that's what you need. You need his wisdom to be able to rejoice. And the best bit is he promises to give it to you. It's a fantastic promise. It is marvellous. Right, verse 5, listen to this. If any of you lacks wisdom, this wisdom from God, he should ask God who gives generously to all without fault. Ask God and it will be given to him. How good is that? If you can only see your trials as suffering, if you can only find it in you to moan and groan about it rather than to rejoice in God, then get on your knees and pray. This isn't theoretical. This isn't a, oh yeah, that's nice, I'll ask God one day maybe. Daily, God, give me your wisdom. Help me see the world your way. Now there is a proviso, there is one condition you've got to ask in faith. Right, verse 6, when he asks, this man who asks for God's wisdom, he must believe and not doubt. Because he who doubts is like a wave of the sea, blown, tossed by the wind. That man should not think he will receive anything from the Lord. He's double-minded, unstable in all he does. You've got to ask in faith. Now, verse 6, look, it's been the cause of some confusion, I think, for some people. When you ask, you must believe and not doubt. What's this doubting business? How is it that you can ask with faith and not with doubting? Now, look, I've heard people speak of this before as you've kind of got to have enough belief. It's like there's units of measurement. And maybe you've got 30 beliefs, but really you've got to have 35 beliefs to get this promise. And so you've kind of got to somehow, whatever the mechanism is, work your belief up to that stage. And if you can't get to 35 units, you're not going to get the promise. But if you can, then of course you're going to get it. You ever heard, I don't know if you've come across it, I've I've been in a church that taught that way for a while. And unfortunately that ends up leading you down the path where some churches will end up with the prosperity gospel. That is, God will bless you only if you achieve something, but then the blessing is automatic off whatever it is that you've achieved with your faith. That's not what's on view here. The doubting is very closely linked to the double-minded man. 
To be a doubter is to be somebody who has one foot in the wisdom of the world and wants to put the other foot into the wisdom of God and have them both. To be going backwards and forwards. Well, this temptation I really like, this sin I really like, so I'm going to stay over in the wisdom of the world and I'm just going to stay over here for a while. Oh no, but now I want some joy, so I'm going to try and come back over to the wisdom of God and see if it works and toss to and fro and not working. Do you want God's wisdom? Fear the Lord, for that is the beginning of wisdom. You cannot have two masters. You cannot love the world and God. You will always be the enemy of one. You need to be prepared to give yourself up. Last night in Christianity Explored, uh, we did week seven, the last, the last of the weeks, and the title is Come and Die. It was, it was a little, you know, people were a little bit surprised at that, not quite what they were expecting, but that's what it is. Come and be crucified in Jesus. Yourself gone. Your old wisdom left behind. The wisdom of the world buried that God's wisdom may take over. You've got to be prepared to give up your own outlook, your own view, your own wisdom, that you might be filled with God's. It was in that proverb that we read. Great proverb. Uh, look, if you want to look it up, you can. Otherwise, I'll just read it. Keep a finger in James. We will come back there. Uh, Proverbs chapter 3. Listen to this. Proverbs 3. Uh, let's go from verse 3. Oh, we'll go verse 5. Here it is. Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding. In all your ways, acknowledge him, and he will make your path straight. Do not be wise in your own eyes. Fear the Lord and shun evil. You want wisdom in order to be able to rejoice? Well, then you've got to trust God with all your heart. You've got to trust in him, not in yourself such that ask him for wisdom, not being double-minded and wanting a bit of both, but wholeheartedly committed to him. And then you will see how it is that trials lead to endurance and maturity. Then you will see that it is blessed to be in a time of trial, but not tempted. Now I want to take a little moment to talk about rejoicing. What does it mean to rejoice, to have this pure joy? I think it's different to happiness. We're not talking about you've got to always be feeling bubbly and cheerful in the midst of your... Sometimes life sucks and you're going to feel down and you're going to be sad and that's okay. You don't have to put on some sort of false, you know, pull yourself up by your bootstraps and just, (laughs) well, inside you're crying. Well, that's not what we're talking about here. Every time I can find that rejoicing and joy are spoken of, you know the two things that keep coming up time and time and time again? You rejoice by praising God and thanking God. Can you imagine what it would look like to somebody if they know you're going through one of the toughest times in your life and all you can ever talk about is how good God is? If all you are ever doing is thanking God, for his kindness and his mercy. There's rejoicing. We have a good God. 
We really do. He's kind and merciful and powerful and for us. Even in the midst of trials, God is for us. The God of power who makes promises. And I want you today, if nothing else, to hold on to the two promises that are in this passage. Do you lack wisdom to see your trials God's way? Then ask him and he will give. Hold on to that promise. He will give the wisdom of God. You know, Solomon was held up in the Old Testament as one of the most amazing kings ever because he asked God for wisdom and God gave it to him. We talk about the wisdom of Solomon and really that's just a shadow of the wisdom of God. Hold on to that promise and hold on to the promise of the reward that comes through perseverance. Blessed is the man who perseveres under trial because when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life that God has promised to those who love him. Hold on to that. That, that is the end. That is the finish. That is the goal, the prize that we strive towards. That is the thing that continues to give us joy. We hold on tight to God's promises that he's for us and perseverance will be rewarded with a crown. Now, this really is a message for middle-aged Christians. I don't mean necessarily middle-aged in, in years of life, right? But just middle-aged in your... You know what young Christians are like? You ever met a baby Christian, just, just converted? Maybe that's you, maybe you've known one. They are so full of enthusiasm and passion. You don't have to tell them to rejoice. Because everything gives them joy. Does oh, I'm suffering. Hooray! Right? I mean, it's, just, it's not quite... I'm not saying hooray, but, but that's kind of what they're like. God is exciting and they love Jesus and it's just, oh, that's, that's, that's the new Christian. The older Christian, well, the finish line is in sight. I can see the goal. I've, I've already run the marathon. I'm not about to give up now. I've spent a life of holding on to Jesus. I'm going to hold on for one last little bit. That, the young Christian, the old Christian, but this really is for the Middle Ages. For those long years when the passions faded, it's just hard now. And the marathon is still ahead. I can't even see the finish line, let alone be near it. When trials really do feel heavy, when temptation is strong, when I don't know if I'm going to make it, that is when we need this reminder, consider it Pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials, for through them God is strengthening you that you may persevere into maturity. Get on your knees. Pray for his wisdom. Can you imagine how it would mark us out? How decidedly Christian it would be. If we are known as the people who in the face of the worst kind of trials, the worst kind of suffering, rejoice in our good God who praise him, who are continually telling others about how good he is, who are thanking him daily for his mercy and his kindness. But it's also decidedly Christian in that you need to choose today to know the wisdom of God, to submit yourself to him, to see the world and your trials his way, considering it pure joy. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we, we can but praise you. All things, you say, work 
for the good of those who love you. And today we've heard that even trials, even our times of difficulty and hardship and even pain and suffering are in your hand times for good. Times to strengthen us. Please take away from us temptation. Take away from us the evil desires that come out of our own hearts. Keep far from us, ever blaming you for it. And so teach us to rejoice, to be able to consider it pure joy, knowing that in this endurance and perseverance, the reward at the end is the crown of life. Fill us, Father, with all joy and with all peace in believing. Amen.